why don't we say a little prayer and then we'll just dive in. And I think we can just point by point go okay. through your, your lineup. And I think that's perfect. Oh, good. Okay. Go ahead. I You're did, a prayer person. Well, I did put the, the, you know, your outline in the sub stack, if that's okay. Sure. All right. Good. Okay. Heavenly Father, we would invite thy spirit to attend us now as we prepare and create this final podcast in our series about John Saxon's story. We would ask that those who listen might have ears to hear and that their hearts and minds might be opened to the fact that we have solutions to the many problems that beset us right now and that we can reestablish sanity in math education. Please, Father, guide those who are searching for these facts to this podcast so that they can be edified and learn more and be inspired to make the changes that need to happen in their locations and their schools. We're so grateful for Nikki and for her hard work as a journalist, as an educator, as a citizen of these wonderful United States who took upon the task of telling the truth about these matters and has stood for so many years as a lone voice crying in the wilderness. And now we're at a place where many people are asking the right questions. And we would ask Father that thou would guide them to her book, to her message, so that they might understand the whole arc of the story and be edified and shown the way so that we can quickly turn things around and restore what needs to be fixed in our education circles. We're so grateful for this technology, which allows us to create these podcasts and do it in the most efficient and easy way possible. And we would ask Father for a double measure of thy spirit now, as we speak, that we might be guided in what we say, that there might not be any technical glitches and that we might be able to share this message with anyone who comes along now or down the road in the years to come, that they also too might be educated and informed about the truth of these matters. We love thee. We love thy son, Jesus Christ. We adore him and are so grateful for his light and love in our lives. And we'd ask father that thou bless the little ones now being trifled with in every possible way, physically, emotionally, and academically, please bless them to have courage and strength and to not feel like they're failures, that they're less than other people. And we say these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to turn on the little jingle, and then I'll bring you in. Okay. And we will just take off like a rocket. It is the John Saxon Story Podcast, and I'm your host, Jenny Hatch, with the author, Nikonia Hayes. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jenny, for having me back. It is just wonderful to hear your voice. We, unlike other shows where we just read the chapters and shared our thoughts here and there, today our podcast actually has an itemized list of things that we want to cover in this final podcast in this series. And to just give you a brief introduction, 
A couple of months ago, I contacted Nikki with the intention to convince her to put her book on Amazon's Kindle so that anyone who wanted to could get the ebook version of her amazing biography. Through a series of events, we decided to craft this podcast, and with her permission, as we recorded each chapter, I cut and pasted the text of the chapter into each individual post on Substack so that those who were listening could read along to what we were saying on the podcast. We did about half of the book in podcast form and then determined that that was enough and that those who wanted to fish the, finish the book and or explore the information that is inside the almanac, the almanac that Nikki put together called a math warrior's almanac, teaches parents and educators how to use the Saxon textbooks to teach their kids. And so if you want all of those resources, the almanac and the book, by the end of July, we plan to have all of it up on the Kindle website for your purchase. So the first line in our, in our bullet point agenda for the day is all of the good news. So Nikki, would you take it away and share the good news? Well, the good news is as much as we get hung up on frustration and criticism of all the things that aren't being done, help is here. Because number one, we were concerned, I was concerned, and everyone who works with Saxon Math has been concerned because the publishers of Saxon Math had said they would cease publishing the book in 2024. And that sent a horrible strain on all of us. It's turned out that due to Stephen Hake's wonderful inclusion in their discussing it, the publishers discussing letting go of Saxon Math, that they now have decided, well, back up, Stephen did the grades three through eight textbooks for Saxon Math and so has been with John Saxon for 40 years. And because of his involvement, they have decided to keep Saxon Math publishing going with print books and digital books, not just digital. I am so excited and so are many people who want to have the paper books to copy. Oh, Jenny, I need to stop and let you interrupt me here and tell me what you think as a parent. Well, I purchased all of the books for our homeschool. And my daughter has indicated that she plans to use these books in her own homeschool. And we feel very territorial about these textbooks. We went all the way through calculus and purchased the second edition, which everybody agrees those are the creme de la creme hard copy textbooks. And we think of them, each book, as treasures. And as each year has clicked by these past few years and we felt this this thing tightening and tightening, is it, is it really going to go away? Are we going to lose all of these books? Um, we had this sense of losing and how are we ever going to get it back? And the day that you sent me the email, Nikki, saying mission accomplished with Stephen going to the, to the publishing company and saying, we want these books to stay in print, hard copy and digital books. And they said, yes, I, I was overwhelmed with joy because I thought, okay, 
We're not going to lose it all. We go forward. And as you said in our notes, even though the sticker on the cover of these Saxon publishing books says Common Core, they are still Stephen's books because he has the copyright on his own books. And so they will stay as he wrote them. So many thanks to Stephen, who wrote books like Math 5 4, 6 5, 7, you know, 7 6, 8 7. These are amazing middle school textbooks to teach basic arithmetic and all of the pre-algebra content that you want to prepare your students for John's books, which are mostly used in the seventh, eighth, and high school grades. Okay. that's And I'm glad you brought up the fact that you use the second edition. I want to really stress that the third edition is the final edition that anyone should buy. Do not go with the fourth editions because they are not true Saxon books. So only through the third edition is what parents should buy. And those are the ones that are going to stay in print, the third edition. So thank you for bringing up that particular aspect of it. Um, The other thing to bring up at this point, I think, is just for people not to get confused if they hear that Saxon is common core, as you pointed out. It's not. The company made a, uh, a handout to include with any purchases of John Saxon, and the handout was common core materials that the company thought parents would use to support the Saxon books. Parents don't want the Common Core materials. I've heard that repeatedly in emails to me. So you can just ignore whatever they say about Common Core. It's not in the third edition or the second edition. First edition books are good to have just because they're historical. But as you said, second edition, and I use third edition. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, Then to go on with the John Saxon story, which... I wrote and and published in in, uh, 2012. I need people to write down if they've got a pencil or if they can remember well. Um, My website, saxonmathwarrior.com, is full of information about everything you would want to know about John Saxon and his story and why he is so beloved by so many people. The last figure I had was that one and a half million students in America are using Saxon math. So you can see why the idea of it staying in print has become really important to a lot of people. But if folks will just remember to go to my website, saxonmathwarrior.com, they can get a whole lot more of what we're talking about today. I put a link to that in the call-in version of this podcast and on the Substack version. So if you're on the internet, you can just go ahead and click on Saxon Math Warrior, where you can purchase a hard copy of Nikki's biography directly from her. If you'd prefer the ebook, it'll be out in about a month on Amazon's Kindle. So in this book, Nikki covers John's childhood story, his married life, his time spent in the service. He was in the military. And then he became kind of in his second career, an algebra instructor. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Nikki? 
Yeah, when he uh, retired, he really didn't know what he wanted to do. And so it was recommended that he, he help kids in the junior college. Uh, he settled in Norman, Oklahoma. And so he was allowed to become an algebra teacher at night. And he found that a lot of his students were not dumb. They just hadn't been taught the basic skills. And that a lot of them had been out of school for a while, being a junior college. And so over the next 10 years, he developed lessons with how he would teach the algebra question and how he would explain it. And finally, one of the kids in his student in his class said, why don't you print this up? So he went to the college print shop and had all of his stuff printed. And then suddenly he realized he had a manuscript. And from that story on, he started trying to get his manuscript printed and was told by six, no, five New York publishers that they were not interested in what he was doing because he wasn't part of a group. And he didn't know what that meant. And so when he did some little bit of research, another publisher said, let me explain, if you're not part of an inside group, the publishing industry is not interested in you. You already, you have to work within special groups. But this other publisher showed him how to get his book published on his own. And John managed to borrow money from his four students, uh, four children, and then he had to get it printed in China because that's where most books were printed and set up a, a site on in 22 Oklahoma school districts to test his book for a whole year. No other publisher has ever done that. Not then, not now. Published the, the schools, 22 schools, middle school through high school, used his book for one year. And then the Oklahoma um, Education Society tested, they, they observed the testing at the end of the year and found out the students had done so particularly wonderful that they wrote a good article about it. And that set him off on his whole idea of spreading his books and becoming a publisher nationwide. And one of the differences between John's work and those other publishing houses is that his books are actually field tested with real students. People would be amazed to find out the lack of testing that goes on with the other textbooks. Yeah, yeah, and, and then they still do. And he had a, a thing he really was frustrated. He said the fact that they won't put their names on the front of the book because his books are Saxon math, named for his name. He said, if you can't put your name on the front of the book and stand up for what's inside of it, then nobody should use your book. Well, if you look at all of these other math books, Jenny, their names are inside in a list on, they'll have like 20 names of people who contributed to the book's publishing. They didn't write it. They just contributed. And so they can't really defend the book. Yes, it's books by committee. And right. They are, they are a mishmash, illogical, poorly uh sourced and there's no incrementalism you have one subject and then you skip around to this subject and it, it is just a mishmash of incoherence 
And the results are children who do, do not know how to think logically. They don't understand the truth or the language of math and their reasoning skills are being trifled with. Well, and that's a good point that you bring up because the other thing that John kept fussing with them about with the publishers is they, the publishers decided that girls couldn't learn math. And so they had to change how math was presented, which was a lot of talking, a lot of words, and that math in America had been written specifically for white boys. And it just drove him to distraction that these kinds of things were said, that kids, black kids or oh, Asian kids could learn math because they thought like white males. And he said, that's just nuts. And then that black kids couldn't learn because they had to be able to talk a whole lot. They couldn't listen that well. That's nuts. And the bottom line was, he kept saying, traditional, good, classical math has been around for 5,000 years across this planet for all the different people. And it was taught in a logical way because math is based, it is the language of logic, truth, analytical thinking and reasoning. And everybody in every place can learn to think that way. And for the new books to to focus on, what I want to say, to focus on what they consider students who don't like math sets up students who don't like math. That's yes. what happens. They create the problem and then they create the solution in the form of math specialists and math camps and math companies that come in and we will reteach this correctly. And it creates this loop of dysfunction. John's whole point was teach it correctly the first time. Oh, absolutely. And then you build on it. And he had what was called incremental learning. His, very quickly, I'll say, like, they have 30 problems in every chapter. And, I mean, every lesson, because he didn't have chapters. He doesn't have chapters. He just have, has lessons, and you do five lessons a week. Then you take a test to see what you know. If the class doesn't know it or the student doesn't know it, then you need to redo it. You need to go over it right then, not at the end when you do a chapter review. You do it every week to do the review and get the kids to know what they're supposed to know. And at the end of the year, you don't have to take a big final exam because the last test of the book covers everything that's already in the book because it's just constant review, constant review. Well, they say, you know, that was so boring. Well, learning to master math is not boring. What's boring is when you don't know what you're doing and you're just flying by the seat of your pants. That becomes very boring. So I need to, to go on and say that if we, don't, if we don't accept the fact that every student can learn math the traditional and classical way, which is being proven by a lot of charter schools and a lot of private schools and even a few small public schools, that we're being shown that these kids learn. Mine did. I was a principal in Seattle. I was a K-5 principal, and after I was a K-12 principal on an Indian reservation, my Indian kids used it, and many of them, for the first time, went on to college. They had never been able to get to college off of the reservation. And then when I worked in Seattle, 
my fourth graders who were taking the state test were in the top 5% of the state on their scores because they'd learned traditional math and it worked. Yes, it does. And we are seeing this inability of our young people, college age, even people under their 30s and 40s, who do not have the ability to think coherently. And part of that is because of the mishmash of the logic that they're being taught about math. So our next point is learn how to fight for and our for your and our children. Don't try to take this on alone. Go to school board meetings, speak to school boards, learn how to cooperate with each other, write letters to the editor, join or create listservs for parents in your community, and then reach out and, and work together. You can. And there, I tutor now, and there are many times that one parent that I'm tutoring for their child, they'll say, well, they've got another parent who wants to talk to me to tutor their child. And my deal is you guys need to be talking to each other, too. You parents need to be talking to each other. And it's not about going in and storming anybody, you know, getting all mad at board meetings or anything else. It's educating yourself, and it's really not that hard. It, there are some pretty good websites out there. But one of the neatest things is just to talk with some of the other parents and say, this is what I see happening. What about you? One of the things you need to find out as a parent is how are the books chosen? How are they chosen? Those This is, should be well known. And it's not among a lot of your parents. And as you said, they can write letters to editors just saying, I don't understand why my student's not learning math. I don't understand why our... We have a district here outside of Waco, Texas. Two high school students, two, passed the state math test. Two out of the whole school district passed the state math test. And something's wrong. And yeah, parents to stand up. If parents would, you know, file some lawsuits for racketeering and monopoly power over those who choose the curriculums and say that the, the public is being defrauded when the educators are claiming they're teaching the kids how to read and write and do math and the test scores are proving. There are some, some districts in Chicago and in Baltimore, the kids are scoring zero. They have zero kids who are passing anything. And, the, you know, the money, the money that is given to these schools to teach basic skills, and they're churning out just so many students who don't know anything. And it's time for it to stop. And did you watch that video I sent you with President Trump outlining his plan? I did. I, I was just, my mouth was dropped. I, you know, I'm just stunned even thinking if he can get just a third of what he's saying. Because right. the, the depth of corruption within our federal and state governments, and I don't, I'm not going to get off on a tangent here, but the people who are in the trenches within those governmental areas, digging them out and getting them out so that what Trump is saying can just have a chance to work is going to be really important. But that's going to have to happen, too, with parents and teachers. I have a, I've known a lot of teachers like me who, was, who were told, you have to teach what we give you. Well, my school didn't. Uh, my school used Saxon, both in the Indians and, and the kids in Seattle. So parents and teachers 
need to come together and just think about the kids first, please, and our country? Yeah, and a way to determine whether or not a math curriculum is good is does it have a remedial component? Meaning, are they planning for some of the kids to fail so that then they need to take the remedial class and have a math specialist in the remedial curriculum? This generates more money for the school. It generates more money from the federal government. And the taxpayers are the ones who are being hosed. All this money given to help fix this problem because the math uh, the math problem is baked into the product in the sense that they're planning for failure. They're planning for some kids to not be able to pass the standardized tests and be labeled math deficient and in need of, of re-education. This is the way that they churn the money for the textbook companies and all of the hands that are greased as these curriculums pass into the schools. This Pearson company over in the UK has such a uh, monopoly power over American schools. It's almost staggering when you hear the, the dollar amounts that Pearson gets for their common core math and language arts books. And they're all that kind of, you know, equity, um, woke, just the most noxious curriculums you can imagine, teaching our children to be um, illiberal in their views towards other people and seeing people's externalities rather than looking at their character or their heart. These are the very curriculums that are causing so many problems in our public and private schools. And in my opinion, it's time for an American renaissance. Just, you know, cut all ties with that company. You have defrauded us. You've engaged in this racketeering with Common Core to take over our language arts, our reading, writing, and math, and we're done with it. We're just done. And it's time for us to just kick out those companies. And as President Trump has promised, he's going to get rid of the Department of Education, decouple the states from federal dollars. The feds never should have gotten involved in the education business in the first place, but he's going to get rid of all of that and then hand the power back to local parents with the ability to hire and fire the principals and then deal with the administrative costs, which are so staggering because the educators took on the task of doing social and emotional learning on top of teaching academics, which is not their purview. But this is why you have so many school psychologists and all this administrative um noxious overlay of our schools of trying to be a, a therapeutic space for our kids. This is not their job. Their job is to teach reading, writing, and math and do that well and do it first. And so um, if there's a kid who's got some emotional problems, well, we have social services for that. We have other agencies that can help with, with their health and their well-being. The school should not be a therapeutic space. So um, let's go on to the next point, which is don't just criticize. It's easy to criticize. Look for um, something positive you can do together for positive results that really make change. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a suggestion, kind of what was going, what you were just saying a while ago, because you and I had talked about this a little bit. If we, if some parents could get together with teachers, I'm going to keep saying that, add some teachers in there that you can get, even some administrators maybe, Entrepreneurs, we have 
multi-billions of dollars among some very rich people in this country. If we could get some entrepreneurs that we trusted, that some parents would go together as a group, three or four people, and talk to an entrepreneur and say, we want to start our school. We want a private school. We don't want to have any kind of connection with any government materials or anything like that. We will prove to you, if you will give us the money, if you will help us, we will prove to you at the end of the year with our kids' scores, with our kids' work, whatever we want to come up with that will prove their knowledge and their skills, we will prove it to you. But will you help us start our school and not take any money from the government at all? Because then we get tied in with the government requirements. I don't care if your charter school, well, the charter school gets tied in with the government requirements. So I think it would be just tremendous if we would have some folks who would get together, get a list of entrepreneurs in their state or in their region and say, we're going to write a plan that's no longer than one page, not a book, but one page of what we want our children to learn and how we want to do it and present it to some people and see if what would work. Yeah, I, th- I think that kind of, you know, um, independent, no government money, uh, parents working together, that's the best of America. And honestly, that's how education functioned for so many hundreds of years before John Dewey and the socialists decided to take over in the late 1800s. So set the example for all of our kids to be strong future leaders. You can do this by by doing what Nikki just said, go ahead and set up a a private situation with a few families, see what kind of results you can get. And then we will have the three John Saxon publications on Kindle by the end of July. The Almanac was designed to help you as an educator, whether you're homeschooler or private school or even public school, to know how to use the Saxon books. It's really important that you follow these guidelines Because if you don't understand the goal, it's easy to say, oh, we'll just do the odd problems and skip skip the evens. Or we don't need to take that Friday math test. It's not a big deal. Or we don't need to do the daily math facts. You do. You need to do all of it to get the the results that you want and to train your child's mind to be the most quick, the most uh, resilient. And, um, you know, just do so much of the math right in their head without even having to, to turn to a paper and pencil or a calculator to help them with basic arithmetic. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, excellent point about just helping kids learn. Well, first of all, kids learn by example. And if they've got parents who are not being mean or yelling or fussing or cussing or whatever, you know, and I don't mean that in an ugly way, but kids need to see parents who say, we're going to take this and we're going to make some good decisions and we're going to try to achieve something. Our children see that because right now our children aren't seeing a whole lot of positive performances by our leaders. And, and if parents can set that example, oh my goodness, what it could do for, I just, I can't even tell you how it excites me to think that parents would get that involved and teachers would get that involved and do what you're talking about is let's just make some moves and make it positive that we're going to make this work. Well, and math, in my opinion, math and music are a great foundation to build 
a home school or a private school on. These are the languages that are very compatible. And once you give that foundation to a child, it's a springboard to learn all the other languages, whether it's a spoken language or the language of art or being creative. These are the things that help their brains to just grow and stimulate all the creative parts in their minds that it does. I have had parents say to me, oh, I, Saxon is so tedious. I don't know if I can stand it, you know, because they've kind of bought the drunk the Kool-Aid of why you wouldn't want to do Saxon. But it's like, no, everybody who's learning a new skill, whether it's to play the piano or play a sport, there has to be a foundation of basic skills. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but if people will go to my website, that kind of information is on my website about why math is so important. And so many teachers today's younger teachers don't like Saxon because they consider, well, there are no pictures in the Saxon books. John used his pages to do examples. So kids got lots of examples of how to solve problems. He didn't believe in spending money on a lot of ink of pictures of kids in wheelchairs or kids showing, you know, their differences. He just kept saying, we're working on their learning of, of their brain. And music is based on mathematics. I know. Math- Mathematics is the foundation of, again, so many things. And for folks to say, well, I wasn't very good in math, so I'm not surprised my kid isn't. If you weren't very good, it's even more reason for you to help your child become good. Yeah, and as you teach your own, you can go ahead and reteach yourself. Yes. Learn right alongside your child. It was probably not you and your brain that was the problem. It was a faulty curriculum. And yes. the, new, the new math that came in in the 60s, we are still feeling the after effects of that 70 years later. Yes, absolutely. And so, and a lot of people just kind of, they trusted the schools to be doing the right thing. And for a lot of years, schools did do the right thing, I think. Um, but now we have to trust ourselves. We have to trust what's going on in our heart And we have to look at our children. When you look in children's eyes and they're trying to do a math problem at home and those children have no clue about how to do it and you don't know how to help them either because a lot of the math in those books is designed to keep parents away from helping children in math. That's not a conspiracy. Well, it sounds like it is, but how many parents have been told, and I have been told this repeatedly by parents, I was told by the teacher not to help my child do math because I didn't know the fuzzy way of doing it. And that's my word. And so to keep parents under the illusion that they can't help their children in math is really wrong. And so we have to be helping get parents back on board. Yes, we do. And I've always said that if a child has a math problem, that you cannot understand what is being asked, what, what, how to determine the correct result, there's no way your kid knows that too. So right. use common sense, follow your gut instincts. If you feel like something's off in the classroom and the teacher or the administrators are just gaslighting you and not giving you the facts, um, sometimes they will give a kid an A just because of their political views 
or that their their thinking aligns with what what the teachers' agendas are, and it has nothing to do with the actual test score of their math. So the parents will be, you know, under the illusion that they've got a kid who's a scientific thinker who's mathematically inclined because he gets straight A's, but that A has nothing to do with what's happening with math education. And then if that kid goes through 13 years of public school, ends up at the college and takes their first math placement test and realizes they know nothing, there is nothing more demoralizing than that for a young person whose parents and grandparents have so much hopes. Oh, it's the first kid going to college. We're so excited. Everybody saved the money and helped them get there. And by the end of the first semester, that person understands I don't fit here. I'm not prepared to do this work. And that is so sad to me because those are the very people who end up spending their youth getting high, getting drunk, partying because they don't feel like they can compete. And it's just because they haven't been properly prepared. And we can do so much better as a society. Well, and the last thing I'll just throw in here on on that, I, I taught at a community college for a while, and I'm telling you that now at least 60%, maybe 70% of all incoming freshmen in community colleges must take remedial math. They cannot take college math. So, And that does not count toward graduation. So that's an expense, and that's time that they just have to put in to try to make up. And therefore, an awful lot of those students do not go on and graduate, even from the community college. Yeah, and they don't end up in the STEM fields, and they don't have the career that they were hoping, that they were working towards. And the kids themselves have been gaslit. How do they know what, anything besides what their teachers tell them? Oh, you're good at math. You're awesome. You're a mathematical person. And then the moment comes, and I really think in that moment, these hearts get broken. They get so demoralized because has everybody been lying to me my whole life about this thing? You know, it's it's such a tease and so unfair, and we can do so much better. This is the this is where I want to leave this podcast, is that we can fix our schools. We can fix this problem. We just have to be clear-headed enough to know how. And then when the when the people who are running things right now stand up to us and, and flash their badge, their credentials, I went to Columbia, I've got a doctorate in administrative education, or whatever sort of credentials they supposedly have and try to talk you down or scare you or push you out of the conversation, I want to challenge everyone. Push back. Don't be intimidated by those credentials. Don't allow them to steal from your child, from your community, the best minds because of their agendas. And there has been an agenda to dumb down the American people. It's a fact. And so once you can accept that, and say, I'm going to help fix this, that's where you can get your courage to just not be swayed by any sort of um, authoritarianism. I will throw in lastly that when people go to my website and if they decide they want to buy John Saxon's story, I always make a deal for homeschooling parents because I know what they give up in order to help their children, give up financially in order to help their children. And so I I'm make a special offer so if they'll just send me an email because my my email address is in the order area and let me know that they you know are are homeschooling parents we'll make it work okay that is awesome 
And as a final summation of this podcast we've done together, in John Saxon's spirit, uh, he knew very early on he was engaged in a war for people's souls and for the intellect of America. And he was fearless about going after the math establishment. He would take out full-page advertisements in their math journals and heckle them with his test scores and with his studies that he was doing in the field and he shamed them and publicly tried to humiliate them for what they were doing to the children of America. In that spirit, this podcast was born because Nikki and I have the same heart of this warrior spirit of we have to stand up and push against this thing, this Leviathan with all of our might, just push back and say, no, Gandalf, you shall not stand, you shall not pass. This is the line in the sand. We're not going to let you go any further. And with someone like President Trump or even Robert Kennedy Jr., he's been talking about some interesting things around education, too. With these types of political leaders who are willing to say, enough education establishment, you've had your run, it's over, we're going to collapse this whole thing, you're going to have to go get real jobs that actually benefit humanity, no more of this nonsense. Um, and I believe the people are with those two men based on the polls. If we can get them in power and just cut through all the nonsense, I believe very quickly, like within a matter of years, we can restore American public education. Until that happens, though, I want to challenge individual parents and communities and uh, movers and shakers to take on the task pulling your kids out, making certain that they have real math, real phonics, and teach these little ones how to read and think logically. And then nobody will be able to mess with them when they grow up. Well, and I just hope parents will realize that putting a book in the hands of children instead of necessarily a tablet or a a phone or whatever, but a book with paper and pencil, it's wonderful for kids to finally I mean I've seen a difference in children when they actually fell in love with a book and very quickly I'll say this the Navajo students on the high in the high school in Arizona they came to love John Saxon personally and he actually went out and met with the kids they were so so in love with their learning and their achieving And to see that was just amazing for me when I wrote my story. So the kids can be given a book to put in their hands, not necessarily a tablet. Well, and what better way to end this podcast than by saying to anyone out there in education who's saying that math is sexist or math is racist or math is a a white supremacy thing. Um, you know, it's time for you to, to sit down. It's just time for you to sit down. We're going to fix this. Nikki Hayes, thank you for your book, for your time, for your friendship. You are my adopted mama, and I love you with all my heart. Tell everybody how old you're going to be on your next birthday, which is in a couple of weeks. I will be a wonderful 83. It is just amazing to me what you have done with your life. I was telling my husband, Paul, when we started this project, I said, I can't believe she wants to work with me. I'm a total amateur podcaster. I'm just a one horse show on my 
blog and on my Substack. I don't have any credentials, a little bit of community college math. I don't have a degree. I'm just a mom, homeschooling mom, a blogger, and she wants to spend time with me. It has been so joyful to create these podcasts with you, to share our hearts, and to promote this book. I told Paul in all of my research as a homeschooling mother, mother, I never found anyone who delineated the math problem the way that you did. There were a few people around who were putting out good arguments for why math was problematic, but your book, which I've read three times, just went right to the heart of the matter. It was the arrow in the heart of the math establishment that said, okay, these are the facts. And for anybody who wants to get the facts, you have to read Nikki's book because it contains the history of how we got to the place where we have all these educators who are calling math racist and sexist. You have to read that story. It's important if you want to know how to take it down. Okay. Yes. I can't add anything better to that. Okay, Nikki. I love you so much. I hope you have a great day. Love you too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.